Hello there. It's 6am. Uh, I'm at Stansted Airport and I've got a flight to catch. And, ah, yeah, there's, there's my gate. I'll speak to you in a bit. Hello and welcome to the Three Lions podcast. My name is Russell Osborne and this is an independent England football supporters podcast. I hope I find you well. This is a bit of a special one, a special episode, one that I thought needed to be celebrated and especially after our Lionesses glorious summer of 2022. Now, back in 2019, just before the Senior Men's 1,000th game, I put together an episode looking at the very first Men's International that took place in November 1872 in Partick, Glasgow. That episode, well, it's still available at 3 or your podcast provider of choice. And at the time, I thought, I've done this. Now, at some point, I'm going to need to do the same for our women's team. Well, that time has come. And just as I did for that men's episode, I've once again come to Scotland. Not a cricket pitch this time, but a small sports stadium. It's called Ravenscraig Stadium on the edge of Greenock in Clydeside. Ravenscraig is about 25 miles away from the West of Scotland Cricket Club, where that men's game was played on the 30th of November, 1872. By pure coincidence, 100 years later, on the 18th of November, 1972, Scotland women faced England women. And it wasn't the first time women had played internationally, as back in April, 1971, France had played the Netherlands. Now I'd like to tell you some more about the women's game. But before I do that, I'd like to welcome to the Three Lions podcast, Ian Dyer. He is the Operations Manager for Community Facilities, Parks and Pitches for the Inverclyde Leisure, I believe. That's correct. (laughs) And has kindly opened the gates for me today. Uh, Ian, thank you very much. Perhaps you could tell me a little about Ravens Craig. Ravenscraig Stadium was constructed, I think, way back in the, the 60s uh, by the local authority, the local council. Has uh, then been the site of your football international that you've been talking about, but probably more recently is used for our local junior football team and is also used as a, an athletics tracking stadium uh, for the local population in Inverclyde. It's a fairly standard type of stadium and for what we're trying to explain to your listeners uh, what it would visualise it uh, just a stand running track yeah. football pitch uh, but you know set in a nice sort of leafy area of, of Inverclyde and it's changed over the years by all accounts with regards to like the, the running track around yeah. it 
I think like everyone, everything has developed. Uh, so our running track is now no longer a, a, a blaze or a shingle track. It's now a proper polymeric track. Uh, that our floodlights are uh, more improved and obviously suit both the, the needs of athletics and, and certainly for football. Uh, but intrinsically, it's not changed terribly much since, as we were saying earlier, when I was young, a youngster and coming here to run uh, as part of the sort of school athletics programme. We've seen there's some big new floodlights, but were there one floodlights when the this first game was played? I'm, I'm going to be honest, I would imagine there would be, uh, but probably not the way they are just now. Uh, as I say, they're on two tiers now, so that you can have low level and high level uh, lighting. But yeah, I mean, my uh, dim and distant memory of, of, of running around here, even outside of school, uh, there would have been floodlights because we would have trained in the winter time, so they would have needed sunlight uh, to, to obviously to help participants. And it's still a stadium that's in use today? It's still in use today. A local junior team, uh, Greenock Juniors, play here uh, during the football season. As I've mentioned, the two athletics clubs, uh, Inverclyde Athletics and Glen Park Carriers, both train here with maybe a hundred odd children of each of the nights that they train and that's four nights a week uh, and more recently just introduced American football uh, to the stadium uh, so that's been fairly popular and again they've played in the off season so that's not conflicting with, with the football season Ravens Creek Stadium's always been part of the local uh, scene so therefore uh, you know, in my lifetime, it, it, it's always been it's always been here. It's always been a, a focal point for, as I've said, for the local junior football team. And uh, Greenock Morton is is obviously the, our local premier team, uh, and they've trained here in the past. But they've also come and played. They would normally have a, a derby game against Greenock Junior. So, you know, every now and again, and that helps from a fundraising point of view for for the junior club. Ironically, they now the the Greenock Morton now train at partly at our 3G football stadium because again it's safe and certainly coming through COVID etc. It's easy to make it COVID compliant, uh, but certainly you know down here it, it is what it is uh, uh, and uh, used probably could be used better. You know the local athletics clubs are keen to, to encourage. Uh, new participation and increased participation they've just sort of fitted a new pole vault track or pole vault equipment uh, which they use but certainly as far as football is concerned as we were talking earlier on the local council facilitated the the under 15s girls uh, international between England and Scotland uh, as part of the celebrations of this uh, unique landmark you know the 50th anniversary I think it was a respectful 3-3 draw right. uh, on the day. Scotland were up, they were up 2-0, I think, right. within the first five minutes. Oh, right. Uh, Very reminiscent of the first game. I think so, but, but played under terribly poor weather conditions. Again, quite reminiscent, I think. Typically for, for, for Inverclyde, you, you know, you can only, the only thing you can't kind of control is, is the weather. But a good, good audience, uh, sorry, good I spectators turned up, so I think there was over a thousand people came to see that, supported by the local council, supported by Inverclyde Leisure, but supported by Scottish Schools FA as well. Uh, and from that, as we, we mentioned earlier on, certainly the Scotland squad then got a full cap 
and had a full crap celebration in uh, at our local town hall, which was uh, was good for those girls. Uh, to about a pomp and circumstance to the whole uh, event, which was which was good, and, and as it as it deserved, you know, it's a full international. Uh, but yeah, I think it was quite kind of reminiscent of the the the, the first game. But I think the referee blew the oh, dog. The referee blew the whistle just in time. I think England were certainly in the ascendancy after that. Uh, right. uh, I think it could have gone certainly gone their way. But honours were shared, which yeah. was always good. Well, that was obviously the the under fifteens game was was much recently, but fifty years ago the the first game between England and Scotland was played here. And well, I, I wish you all the best for the next fifty years. Well, thanks very much, and thanks for the opportunity, uh, Ian. Thank you very much for your time. Welcome. Now, much like the men's matches had been played before, some under the banner of England, but this is classed as the first official. England women's match and here we are in 2022 it seems a perfect time to celebrate this match in what is its 50th anniversary I've been fortunate to speak with a couple of people who helped make that first game go ahead and you'll hear from them soon and I'll also go for a wander around the ground here and describe what I can see but before then I'd like to tell you a little about the history of the women's game. It may have been the first official women's international match between the two nations. And now, fortunately, the women's game, both domestically and internationally, is flourishing either side of the border. But back then, women's football had seen some dark days. The late 1800s and early 1900s the women's game was flourishing. Attendances of anywhere between 4,000 to 25,000 to 53,000 would turn out to watch the women. Dick Kerr's ladies were one of the earliest and most successful sides. Founded in Preston in the northwest of England, they were the team of the locomotive and tramcar manufacturers and later went on to produce munitions for the war effort. The team came about with the rise of the First World War, where the company became predominantly female-based. Football became a sporting activity for the employees. The men played, the women played, the women beat the men. Enthusiasm rose and Dick Kerr ladies were formed. They began to play other female sides, and they began to beat all those who came before them, mainly in charity fixtures to raise funds for injured servicemen from the war. Now, while this episode is about the first women's international between Scotland and England, played back in 1972, we can be pedantic or technical and say that Dick Kerr ladies took part in the very first international when they played a team from Paris in 1920. And one of the most famous players from those days was a lady by the name of Lily Parr. She was a winger. She died in May 1978, aged 73. But she wasn't forgotten. In 2002, she was the first female to be inducted into the English Football Hall of Fame 
at the National Football Museum. And then in 2019, the museum commemorated her with a statue. And it was Boxing Day 1920, same year as when Dick Kerr ladies played that team from Paris, when the attendance of 53,000 was recorded. They played St Helens ladies at Goodison Park, of course home of Everton, in Liverpool. However, just a year later, the English FA moved the goalposts. On the 5th of December 1921, they banned women from playing matches on their members' pitches, claiming that they were protecting women as they were not physically able to play the game. Although it was widely thought that it was a knee-jerk reaction to the growth of the women's game threatening the male game. The resolution, passed by the FA's Consultative Committee, stated Article 5. Women's Football Matches Complaints have been made as to football being played by women. Council felt impelled to express a strong opinion that the game of football is quite unsuitable for females and should not be encouraged. Complaints have also been made as to the conditions under which some of the matches have been arranged and played, and the appropriation of receipts to other than charitable objects. The Council are further of the opinion that an excessive proportion of the receipts are absorbed in expenses and an inadequate percentage devoted to charitable objects. For these reasons, the Council requests the clubs belonging to the association refuse the use of their grounds for such matches. That was a statement by the FA Consultative Committee. Although reading the excellent DickKerrLadies.com website, it also mentions some individuals who supported the FA's decision. Dr Elizabeth Sloan Chesser said, There are physical reasons why the game is harmful to women. It's a rough game at any time, but it is much more harmful to women than men. They may receive injuries from which they may never recover. Dr Mary Charlib, a Harley Street physician, said, I consider football a most unsuitable game, too much for a woman's frame. And I'm not quite sure who Mr Eustace Miles is, but he said, I consider football quite an inappropriate game for most women, especially if they haven't been medically tested first. Now, apparently there was a British real tennis player of the time with the same name, Eustace Miles. I don't know if they are one of the same person. So for 50 years, women's football was officially banned in England, although through sheer ingenuity, women got around it by playing games on scrubland, rugby pitches or school fields. That was until 1971, when the FA finally gave in due to pressure from UEFA that there was no need for the game to be banned. Shortly before this, in November 1969, the WFA, the Women's Football Association, was set up. This organisation would continue until 1993, when of all people, the FA took control of the game. It's safe to say it's in a better place now than those early years under the FA's stewardship. But going back to the WFA and its inauguration, 
one of their earliest secretaries was a lady called Patricia Gregory, and she, alongside her Scottish counterpart, helped to arrange this first international fixture. I spoke to her about her memories of the time. I'd like to welcome to the Three Lions podcast, Patricia Gregory, who at the time of the first England Women's International back in 1972, uh, was the secretary of the WFA. Patricia, hello there. Hello. This will be the first, I think, of many this year, but um, because a lot of people are realising that this um, probably big anniversary is coming along. It's quite momentous, really, 50 years. Well, it doesn't feel like 50 years, but I'm sure everybody of a certain age says that. Yes. <laughs> well, yes. It... No, I was, I was actually, just to be pedantic, I was honorary secretary of the Women's FA because we, in those days, and we're talking the early 70s, we didn't have any money and we um, certainly didn't have any money to uh, pay people to do the work. So, obviously, the players wouldn't have been paid then. Oh, heavens no. No, in fact, they <laughs> I can't remember exactly, but I believe they would all, and all of us, and I went to the game, we would all have had to contribute to the costs because, as I've said, we had no money and grants were few and far between at that time and sponsorship was certainly very difficult to get hold of. So how did the game come about? Were you in charge of arranging it? Well, I shall we... Put it this way, I arranged the English end and a lady called Elsie Cook, she arranged the Scottish end. So they took the brunt of organising the actual match. But what we did, we actually didn't know at the time, but the first men's international, also between Scotland and England, was on, I believe, um, the same date in whatever the year would be in the 1800s. That's right, so 1872. It, yeah, so it, it's it's very, very odd that, but that is a pure coincidence. Um, I guess, I don't remember, I'm still in touch with Elsie. Okay. I guess that we didn't think, I'm, I'm sure we didn't think that this was an anniversary to mark. It's just pure coincidence. And we had been working for over a year with our organisation of trials. So we based our trials on our league system. And we had the leagues playing each other. And then the Football Association, who were by that time um, keeping an eye on us, shall we say, they uh, recommended and we appointed a gentleman called Eric Worthington, who, as the manager, he was a senior lecturer at Loughborough College. And he had been a professional footballer at QPR in his time. And he was a very good coach and he became the first England manager. Unfortunately for the WFA, we only had him for the one match. We didn't know that then uh, because he got a job in Australia. Oh, and God. so he only handled the, the squad for the, that first game and then he um, disappeared off, which um, kept in touch with him. And I'm still in touch with his widow right. because, of course, it's a long time ago. So I arranged uh, the English end. The girls, we we played at, um, I believe we played at Wembley Pool, now known as Wembley Arena, uh, the night before our trip to Scotland in the as an exhibition match in the Daily Express Five Sides that was then run for the professional men's teams, and that we were we were the interval 
uh, entertainment between the semi-finals and the final. And the girls, we gathered the girls together and we stayed at the Bisham Abbey National Sports Centre and then took uh, a coach. We did all of this by coach. And so we we went to Scotland by coach. So from Bisham Abbey, as we set off, I had arranged with the Football Association that we could stop off at Wembley Stadium and the girls could, well, they were allowed to change in the changing rooms, walk up the tunnel. This is obviously the old Wembley, the original Wembley, and have a photo call on the pitch. And I still have a, a photograph of the team shot. In fact, I think it's the only photograph we've got of the team lined up in all their glory. But it was a great thrill for the girls and for me, for that matter, to walk out onto the pitch because you don't get to do that often. No. And that was on the day of the trip going up there, was it, or, or just prior that was, to? That was on our way, yes. We'd set off from Bissom Abbey in um, Marlow, Buckinghamshire, I think that's roughly where it is. And uh, we stopped off at Wembley and then we made our way back onto the motorways and up to Greenock. Now, I think I've seen that picture that you're referring to. With the... You probably have because it's quite famous and it's, yeah. it is the only one. It's, it looks quite bright for a, a November day. Uh, yes, it wasn't raining. No, I don't remember it raining. And uh, the girls had a little kick around for the photographer. Sadly, I have no idea who the photographer was. Not a clue. But oh. I'm guessing that uh, some, of, at least the local press showed an interest. Absolutely. So that must have been a good eight, nine-hour journey, I guess, by coach, would it have been? I, you know, I can't remember, but it must have been. It was a long time. The only other longest coach journey I've made is in uh, was in 1969 when I took the league team to Czechoslovakia, as it then was. Wow. Wow. That took, um, that took a bit of a while too. I can well imagine. So the, the game was in, in Greenock in Scotland. Um, yeah. Was it in the evening or was it the afternoon? No, it was, a, it was an afternoon match because I was, 1972, I was employed as a secretary, well, something like that, very menial job, in um, BBC Sport. And I did, I obviously accompanied the team to Scotland and it was played, the match was played on a Sunday and ITV's, equivalent of match of the day the big match was on and Brian Moore announced in the program that England had been beaten this really set my hackles going and I wrote because you'll appreciate that's what you did in the 70s you wrote a letter anyway I wrote complaining to ITV that what he had given out was the halftime score as the full-time score And we, um, anyway, the following weekend, Brian Moore, who I later worked with, and he was a lovely man, he gave a very fulsome apology on the programme the following weekend. And my bosses at the BBC were so thrilled that I had made ITV (laughs) apologise. I can well imagine. (laughs) Well, I mean, even for back then, though, for for ITV or, or mainstream media to to at least acknowledge the game. Oh, yeah. Uh, was, yeah. was good. I've also heard about the game that obviously it was November and there was a, yeah. uh, quite, quite a snuff flurry. 
Oh, it was it was it was really bitterly cold, bitterly cold. And yes, there was a snow flurry, and there had been snow, but it was sort of the the bit like rain. So it was it was pretty cold. Yeah, yeah. And Sylvia Gore, who scored the first England goal. Well, Rose Riley, who is still hale and hearty, she scored the first goal, I believe, and I'm doing this from memory. And Sylvia Gore scored the first England goal because she was always very proud that she was the first England goal scorer. Too right. Uh, sadly, she died a few years ago. Yeah. But um, the other two scorers for England were Linda Hale, who again is very well and living in Southampton, and Jeannie Allen. She came from Crewe and uh, she scored the third and winning goal. And so from, from that first game, which obviously England won, what was the, the feeling after the, the game for the girls? Oh, they were delighted. Of course they were. It was it was wonderful. And there was a dinner in the evening with the Scottish team. So everybody was very friendly. No, they it was they were tickle pink. What else can I say? They were very, very pleased. And it was it was the start of of a long journey then and, and lots more games, as you say, under the, the WFA. Well we had yes, we had a lot more. I can't give you the number off the top of my head, but I can work it out. I've got a list. Um, the, the second game was our first trip abroad. We went to France in, I think it was April 74. But of course, everything we did or indeed didn't do was subject to the available money. No. And as there wasn't very much money around, it was quite difficult. The, um, the girls contributed. I can't give you any facts and figures on how much, but we usually ask them to contribute some money until we got much more established and managed to get some uh, usually grant aid, not so much sponsorship, but grant aid from the Sports Council and the powers that be. I've heard, though, that still there is the frustration or confusion that some people still don't recognise this 1972 match as the first game. We know, as the official organization running women's football at the time we're talking about we know that we were the and the game in november or the date in november will be the 50th anniversary of the official but you are probably aware that there were teams around who were visiting places most notably harry bat's team from chilton valley luton who went to mexico in 1971 now they were told clearly because they were members of the wfa that they could not call themselves England and they called themselves the British Independence. But, of course, when they got to Mexico, they were called England. Right. And the British newspapers called them England. And I remember, even after all this length of time, I remember arguing with the national press here. One editor said to me, are they English? I said, yes. He said, well, then they're England. So you, you that's a pitfall for you to be careful of. Yeah. I mean, even in the 1800s, there were matches which were purported to be Scotland v England, usually in Scotland, so Scotland v England. But, of course, there was no official organisation at that time, so they weren't England. Anybody could call themselves anything. That's indeed, I suppose, they can now, but it doesn't make them England. When the subject of these earlier games, when I say earlier, earlier than the 1972 match comes up, it upsets the girls who were the genuine England players because they had to go through all sorts of trials we had a final trial, and it upsets them that other people will claim to be England and they've appeared on television and this sort of thing. 
it's it's quite upsetting for them. Yeah. Well, hopefully, come this anniversary, it'll be acknowledged in some way. I hope and expect that the FA will mark the occasion somehow, but I have no idea what that might be. So here we are, back at the Ravenscraig Stadium, and I have a copy of the match day programme with me, priced at a mere five pence. It is simply a piece of A4 paper folded in half, and on the front it says, The Women's Football Association presents the very first ladies' international football match. Scotland versus England at Ravenscraig Stadium, Greenock, on Saturday the 18th of November 1972. Kick-off, 2.15pm. Thank you for your support. And as you open it up, the inside pages give the teams and some dialogue about each individual players. There's an opening message from the Scotland team manager, Robert Stewart, who says... I would like to extend a warm welcome to our English guests this afternoon and hope that their visit to Scotland may be an enjoyable one. This being the first international between the two countries, I hope we shall have a good sporting game and be able to make this event an annual affair. On the next page is the England team and a message from the England manager, Eric Worthington, who says... Even before the formation of the Women's Football Association in 1969, the aim of the organisers was to promote women's football at international level. We now see the realisation of this aim with today's game. Now, the England squad was selected from regional competitions and final trials, and at a training weekend, the present squad were selected. And as I mentioned, the teams, they were listed inside. And the lineups from that day were as follows. Scotland had Janie Horton. She was the goalkeeper. Jean Hunter. Jane Hunter. Linda Kidd. Marion Mount. Sandra Walker. Rose Riley. Edna Nellis. Mary Anderson. Captain Margaret McCauley. And Mary Carr. And there were substitutes at Liz Creamer. Mary Davenport, Linda Cooper, Diane McLaren, Irene Morrison, and of course there was the manager, Robert Stewart. And for the England team, the goalkeeper was Sue Bucket, Morag Kirkland, Sandra Graham, Janet Bagley, Sheila Parker, she was the captain, Paddy McGroarty, Linda Hale, Sylvia Gore, Pat Davies, Jeannie Orlott, and Jean Wilson. And the substitutes for England were Wendy Owen, Julia Manning, Eileen Foreman, and Susan Wyatt, and manager Eric Worthington. Now, before we go out and have a look around the ground and maybe sort of visualise what it was like 50 years ago, let's hear from England goalscorer on that day, Linda Hale and her memories. Now I'm delighted to welcome to the Three Lions podcast goal scorer on that amazing day, that first day for, for the England women, Linda Hale. Hello, Linda. Hiya. Are you well? I'm very well, thank you. 
thank you very much for for joining us on on this podcast a, a historic episode about a a historic game in the in the women's football what were your memories of the time i was 18 when i first uh, got picked for england and um everything was all up in the air and it was it was a really good sort of we had training sessions we had trials and then you got the call up to actually play for england right and um on the on the sort of i think it was about a week before four or five days before we went up to wembley we trained for photographs on wembley and we also on that um time we we played in um a five-a-side between the um i think it was a daily express five-a-side men's um, football tournament and then we went up to um Greenock. so you actually got to play on on the wembley turf yeah, we had we had a training session on the Wembley turf, and then a lot of photographs taken. And it, at the time, you it doesn't sort of equate that that's where you are. You were a player for Southampton at the time, who, by all accounts, were were quite a successful team, were they? Yeah, we were a good side. Won the FA Cup many a times, and um, it was a case of that that we'd all sort of grown up together. Really, it was quite a young young team. It was really good fun playing at that time. Were there other Southampton players in the the England lineup? Other players that you knew, or, or were you on your own? Really? No, no, no. When I first, when we first got picked for England, there was four of us. Right. There was Sue Bucket, who was a goalkeeper. There was um, Morag Kirkland, who was a right back. There was myself, um, and Pat Davis, who was the centre forward. Four of us got picked together out of the Southampton team. Wow, so that, that shows how good that Southampton team were. Yes. I spoke with Patricia Gregory and she said that you all took the, the coach up to, to Greenock. <laughs> Must have been an eventful yes. journey. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I, can't, I can't remember too much about it. I can remember staying in the hotel. I've still got all the memorabilia of the hotel, the menus, everything. I've got all, all that. Right. I, I read that you were described as a flying winger with a cannonball <laughs> shot. <laughs> Is that fair Fair to say? Well, yeah, I had a decent shot on me. And I can remember some many, many years ago, I was at a football tournament and I can't remember who it was. Um, somebody in the FA said that I had the shot like Peter Lorimer's. Really? Who used to play for Leeds. Yeah. Did, were you taking free kicks? Yes, oh yes, corners, free kicks. So take us to the the day of the game. It was a Sunday, and by all accounts, it was quite cold. I've seen some of the footage of it, and there was snow on the ground and snow on the hills in the, uh, in the background. It was, a, it was really, really cold. I mean, the, the, the ground was rock hard. That's how our um, winning goal got scored, where it was so rock hard, and Jeannie Allett crossed the ball. And Pat Davis jumped in front of the goalkeeper and it bounced over their head. It was a bit of an up and under sort of shot, that one, wasn't it? Yes, yeah. Apart from sort of bits and pieces that come back, when when you when you get together with some of your mates that were playing in that, until they we start talking, things then come back. I can remember my goal, but apart from that, I mean not a lot I can I can tell you about really. Go on then, you, you can remember your goal. Talk us through it. Um, 
talk a lot about Pat Davis, but she was my best mate and we played for Southampton together all the time and we played for England together. She got the ball on the um, halfway line and dribbled a bit, yeah. got it through into their half um, and I was going down the wing. She saw that the pass was inside the um, the fullback. I just ran straight onto it and it went straight in the um, left-hand corner. Because you were under pressure from a couple of defenders, weren't you? Yeah. Um, that was the equalising one, yeah. That's right. And because Scotland had taken a, a 2-0 lead, hadn't they? Yeah. What, what yes. was the, But that was before, obviously, Sylvia Gore scored England women's first ever goal. Um, and then That's it was, right, yeah. Then it, was, then it was half-time. What, what was the feelings at half-time? I think it was just the, just the same as it would be in, in any situation that we just had to pull together and, and make sure that we could get on top of them because they had a really good player and she was quite young, Rose Riley. And she and scored she the first the goal. Yeah, she was the one we had to watch most of all. Right. So he, she was she was a really good good goal scorer. Yeah. They came out for that for the second half. You got your goal to equal it up. And then was as we say, Jeannie Orla got the the winner. Um, yes. How was it coming off the pitch knowing that you'd won that first game? You know, at the time, you know, yes, you're you're elated that, that you've won and, and it and it's not until years later that you you really take in exactly what you've done. And as I said, look, sort of now, um, 50 years on, we're getting sort of so many people want to talk to us about it. You realise exactly what you did do back then. Yeah. Yeah. You were the you were the ones who started it off for, for the players that are that are now representing the Lionesses now. <laughs> yeah. 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 What a change. What a change. Well, yeah, times times certainly have changed, be it the, the size of the ball, the length of the halves, the the cut of the kit, all those little things have, have just evolved over time. Well, yeah, we, but the fact is that, that nowadays they're athletes. We yeah. were just players that got trained maybe once a week. Um, most of us had to buy our own kit at club level. Just generally out there to enjoy ourselves and hoping, you know, for success. And after that, you, you went on to play play more games for England. Now, I, me personally, I played about seven. Right. I played the next one, which was France. And after that, I can't remember very many about them. Right. I know we travelled quite a lot. I quite enjoyed the travelling. Did you travel a lot with Southampton as well? Um, not abroad, no. Right. Um, all around the country, obviously. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but there wasn't, I mean, when we first started, there wasn't that many football teams around anyway. That's right. And now, obviously, 50 years on, what what are your thoughts of of the, the women's game now? Are you are you happy with the, the way it's come on? Or should it be further on, in your opinion? Um, I think it's progressed in the last... Um, all three or four years because they've got so much uh, television time, yes. um, which through that is getting a lot more recognition. I doubt very much if they enjoy it as much as we did. I mean, it's very much more regimed, isn't it? They mm. what they can eat, what they can do, and whatever. I mean, we we trained hard. I mean, you've got to admit that if um, if Southampton won so many cups and what have you, we must have been good. And our you know, and that's it. Training once a week. Yeah. That's not bad, is it? Where no. you've got them now, um, training every day, and sort of the the 
the thing is that the money aspect of it, I think I was born a little bit too early. Yeah. It would have been nice. <laughs> I had to take a few quid from it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, but uh, you've, you've got the memories, and I say you've got the all the memorabilia as well there. Oh, God, yeah. Have you got your, did they give you caps back then? Yes, they did us caps, and this is something that, that um, we had a lady who came with us. Her name was Flo Bilton, bless her. She's passed away. She embroidered them. Oh, okay. She made them out of sort of felt and embroidered them and had the England badge on it. And this is one of the uh, things that at this moment in time, we're desperately trying to get a cap, our caps the same as the men. Yeah, in the, in the same style. Just the cap. Yeah, exactly. Exactly the same as what the men get, yeah. because the women now get the same, don't they? Yes. We had we just got an embroidered one. That must have had its its nice touch anyway, would it? Yes, it's not. It's a nice touch. Um, but again, um, we were under the FA. Why couldn't they give us what? I mean, surely the men that started before me in seventy two must have had a cap not embroidered by somebody. Yeah, yeah. No, I know what you're saying. Yeah, there's there's no mm. reason why why you should have had something different. Yeah. <laughs> Again, one of those ones I can't explain. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, Linda, thank you very much for for your time. Just just giving us some memories of that day. It's been been wonderful to talk to you. Thank you very much. So this is the the away team dressing room where the England team would have got changed. Let's uh. Let's have a look in here. Fairly standard changing room. Uh, probably a slightly different from what it was back in the 70s because they've put in a suspended ceiling. Right. But other than that, it is as it was back in the day. Uh, no single showers then. No right. Si- no single showers now. No. Uh, so it's basically it's it. Team changing room, so team showers. It's just a, a small room, wooden benches, concrete floor, uh, and hooks on around the wall. I mean, it's sort of non-league standard changing room. Well, there's a, a famous picture of a uh, an England player whose name escapes me, and she's doing her makeup somewhere in here. No, no, she was doing it. No, on, she, was she was doing it on the bench. Oh, right, okay. Something like this. Yeah, yeah. This is where it would be. This is where it, where it would have been. And there's a uh, sort of a whiteboard on the wall, which wouldn't have been of the time. Maybe a chalkboard. Maybe been a chalkboard. Yeah. They may have just written on the walls. Well, maybe. And this is the the walkout to the pitch. That's the uh, the tunnel to the pitch. You could imagine the studs on the uh, on the ground. As they came out to play, and and as I come out, I think it's quite reminiscent of the uh, of the day fifty years ago, as the as the rain comes down. It's England versus Scotland in the first ever Women's Football Association International at Ravenscraig Stadium, Greenwich, and it's a far cry from the days when a lady fainted if a gentleman said "damn." England in white shirts playing left to right. Scotland attack, and it could be first blood for the home team. England clear. Scotland take possession. A goal. And it's a broad day for bonnie lassies and brass monkeys. Scotland again. A corner. And it's a goal. Scotland to England nil. 
half-time and freezing. But now it's England's turn to attack. A goal. Scotland 2, England 1. And in this weather, the kissing and hugging almost makes sense. Now it's a blizzard and England move in for the kill. Another goal for England, and at the end of a gruelling day, it's England 3, Scotland 2. No man could do better. So I've come up into the the main stand, and there is only one main stand here at the ground. And it runs along one side of the of the pitch, and it is elevated up, and there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight benches high. Um, and they look onto the the pitches. One, two, three, four, five, uh, eight sections, as it were, along the side. There's the sides, glass sides to each side of it. And if you've seen the footage of the the game of the where the goals were scored, this would be where the the camera was positioned. So from where I'm standing, I can see to my left was the goal where Scotland scored their opening goal. They scored one from the corner. And then to my right is where England scored their first goal in the first half. And looking just over the pitch, there's a sort of a what looks like a, a concrete terrace of five, six steps that runs along the other side. It's all uncovered. The running track obviously goes around the ground as well. There's, there's seagulls on the pitch. And, and beyond it, there's sort of houses and sort of some schools at either end, which have since been built since the game was played. But this is the, the stadium as it was and, and as it is now. It's, it's very little has actually changed. So it's still this piece of history. And it's uh, it, it's good to be here, and I'll I'll take some photos of it so that you can that you can see it and, and visualise it for yourself as well. As it's been mentioned, England's following game was away to France in April 1973, which they won by three goals to nil. And it wouldn't be until June of that same year that England would have a home match to play and be able to comment on that very first game. But that third game, in June, was once again against Scotland, played in Nuneaton on the 23rd. And the programme notes from that day said the following. The first official international played in Great Britain was held on November 18th, 1972, at Greenock, between Scotland and England. The weather was bitter, the pitch icy, and half the match was played in a snowstorm. At half-time, Scotland were winning by two goals to one, but two second-half goals enabled England to win the match by three goals to two. Incidentally, England won that game in Nuneaton, 8-0. And there we have it. I've got to head back to the airport now, but if you were to pass this stadium, and perhaps you do on a daily basis, there's nothing to mention of this particular game. Over at the west of Scotland cricket ground, there is a small plaque mentioning its significance. Perhaps it would be suitable to do the same thing here, mentioning that this is the site of the first game between Scotland and England women. Perhaps something for the authorities or the local council to investigate. Can't be too much red tape in that, surely. 
I've really enjoyed my day up in Scotland. Uh, I've finished it off with a walk along the Clyde, went and stopped off at Greenock Morton and St Mirren, and had a pint of tenants too. My many thanks go to Ian Dyer for his hospitality and his time. And my thanks also go to Patricia Gregory and Linda Hale for sparing me their time and memories. In this year, 2022, 50 years on from that day, it seems appropriate that our Lionesses picked up the European Championships here on home soil and also qualified for the 2023 Women's World Cup. Seems crazy to think that the game was banned for those 50 years. Just think where it could have been had we not have had that situation. Fortunately though it has come on leaps and bounds since then but understandable the frustration that was expressed at the time and still is. The next 50 years are so important. The likes of Chloe Kelly, Lauren Hemp, Leah Williamson and more all paving the way just as the likes of Sheila Parker, Linda Hale and Sylvia Gore did back in 1972. And all those along the way, the likes of Jill Coulthard, Marianne Spacey, Mary Phillip, Alex Scott, Farrell Williams, Jill Scott, Ellen White, to just mention some. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. Don't forget, you can follow the show on social media. Just search Three Lions Podcast. If you'd like to get in touch, then by all means, do. Drop me a note, threelinespodcast at gmail.com. And as I mentioned at the very beginning, I have also done an episode where I looked at the very first men's international. That one took place in 1872, and it can still be found at your podcast provider of choice. It's episode 66. We should be able to find a link to it on Twitter by searching... Hashtag England's first game. My name's Russell Osborne. This has been a special episode looking at the very first England women's game here on the Three Lions podcast. I'll be back with you very soon with some more England content. I hope you can join me for it. So until then, take care. Cheers. Cheers.